Hi, I'm Adi Weiner, Professor of Statistics at the University of Pennsylvania, and this week's highlight show, we will be talking to Ryan O'Hanlon, author of Net Gains, an amazing commentator and analyst of soccer, and we'll be talking about the Women's World Cup and Lionel Messi and all things soccer in our interview segment. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Wharton Moneyball on Business Radio. Welcome. Welcome to Wharton Moneyball here on CRSXM. We've got Kate Maskey and Eric Bradlow here. I think Adi Weiner might slide back in here. Shane Jensen will not. Shane is off conferencing, I believe, right now. He'll be back. On the guest side of things, we are delighted to have back on the show Ryan O'Hanlon. Ryan, for better or worse, has become one of our favorites. Now we just keep on calling him back. Poor guy. Can't get the time to write books and cover soccer like a responsible person would, but he is here. We're delighted that he is. Ryan, afternoon to you. Thanks for joining. I'm a little offended Adi isn't here. I, I did a talk with one of his classes a couple of weeks ago and he couldn't repay it by showing up to the recording. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll take, I'll take it. No give, Ryan. That's um, why, that's why he had you go first. That's a good point. <laughs> so Ryan is referring to our Wharton Moneyball Academy that Adi has put together and runs every summer. And over the years, he's built just a heck of a guest lecturer. Um, corral. Um, Ramuda, a Ramuda, as we used to say in, in the West, all these 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 great writers, analysts, even former execs come through and talk. And Ryan has been added to that list. Ryan, you're um, back in Southern California now, I believe, after some time in Ireland, which sounds like a lovely change of pace. There's Audie Ryan sliding in there here. <laughs> Audie Ryan was just lamenting you're not being here. He said it was only fair that you show up for him, given that he guest lectured in your class like 15 minutes yeah. ago. Well, there I am. And uh, I have contractors <laughs> in the house. <laughs> Adi has been relegated to some children's room, apparently. This is a new background yep. for us. Going to change it we up. Got, we got ca- contractors in two rooms. I had to escape to my daughter's old bedroom. All right. Well, this is going to work fine. It's a good thing we're just an audio show this week. Ryan, listen, man. There's, uh, it's a good week. Matty Das did did good job pulling you on this week. It's a good week to talk soccer. There are some obvious storylines. What, for, from your perspective, what are you thinking about? What's top of the mind for you in the world of soccer right now? Among the things we, we discussed about potentially discussing, uh, maybe maybe we start with the women's national team who have been a national topic of discussion uh, for better or worse usually worse in my opinion um over the past couple of days uh yeah so they um lost to sweden in pk's round of 16 uh first time they've finished worse than third in the world cup in the history of the world cup um and you know as these things do at world cups when a favorite lo- loses early it raises all kinds of questions about the stability of the national infrastructure and you know whether we hired the wrong coach whether the players are distracted, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And I don't know. I I felt like a lot of it is, I think there are some criticisms to be made about the way the team uh, played and the way they were coached. But uh, for me, I look at it and they gave up two shots on target in four games. Um, One goal in four games uh, had something like 85 to 90% of the shot share in their games. Um, and sometimes the ball doesn't bounce your way. <laughs> I know that's mm-hmm. such a banal, boring way to look at uh, what happened, but that to me is the main 
main driver of what happened. Well, I mean, so Ryan, but of course the ball did bounce their way in the Portugal game when that header could have gone in and the U.S. would not even have gotten out of the group stage. So, you know, as they say, the soccer gods giveth and they taketh, right? I guess. I mean, you could also say that if that shot was on goal, the keeper would have saved it. So, um, you know, to me, to me, if I don't, when I say bounce of the ball, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm more referring to randomness in general than the actual specific bounce of the ball. Um, this guy, Elliot McKinley, I think you, you might've had him on the show once. Um, he did a, did an analysis, like a simulation of all of the shots, the, the USWNT took at the world cup, um, based on their XG values. And he found that um, there's a 1.8% chance that they would score four goals from the 85 shots <laughs> they took at the world cup. Um, so to me, that, so Ryan, that's I, the main I, story. Okay. I, I love, I love the analysis and th- that, and generally we think that sounds right. Obviously the alternative story would be that some of that deviation from expected would come from poor finishing to the extent that we believe finishing is actually a skill. And the only, I mean, I don't know these things. So I'm asking you, I would say, I, I believe there was some concern about the team's finishing skill ex ante that before the tournament, people were worried about that, which would give it a whole lot more credence to the extent that that's true. If it only came up once some of these goals started hitting posts and, and keepers, that's another thing. But how do you come down on whether finishing is actually a skill and whether this team was actually weak on that and believed to be weak on that ex ante? Yeah, I, I I think finishing is always over oversold, um, you know, and I think it's possible that the team is just filled with a bunch of bad finishers or, you know, I'm not one to say that like confidence doesn't exist in sports, right? So athletes talk about it all the time that it matters to them. Um, but but I, I think it was, they scored four goals from, I think, nine expected goals. And like, if that's, that's their true finishing level, they're like the worst group of finishers that are professional soccer players on planet earth so i think like yes poor finishing <laughs> is an issue but not to this degree it's just okay. not it's like not feasible in my in my opinion okay well i mean i, I have a couple of remarks if they were expected to score nine and they scored four that's not terrible these are approximately you know binomials lacrosse on they, they, their XGs are always low. No XGs. I mean, of rarely over a half. I doubt even how I many any of them were even that high. Um, which means if you just sum up the the P, the NP one minus P's, you get a variance that's probably in the neighborhood of three or f- three, right? Or a standard deviation around three. Isn't the, well, Adi, wouldn't a Poisson approximation be the square root of the mean? So about yeah, three. that would be three, right? Um, so. And that, that of course, um, was probably a pretty decent approximation. So all the one minus P's are pretty cl- close to zero, uh, close to one. So four isn't, that's the worst ever, really? I mean, that's not even two standard deviations. Uh, I, I just mean, if that's, if that's like, if we projected them to do that. Yeah, he's saying their out, expectation, <laughs> that would be, their expectation was four. I see. But in one yeah. short tournament, that's not terrible. I guess one of my reaction uh, immediately, because we spent... No, but, you know, but Adi, but real, real, Adi, real quickly, the, Ryan's point was, if they were truly poor finishers, if four was their expected... Oh, that would be terrible, skill, yes. That, would that's, be, that was the argument. That's why Ryan I went see. with expectation. I see. So, Let me follow up one thing with Ryan, is that um, you know, XGs are really hard to get right, right? So particularly because the fact their models are built sim- basically pretty simply, um, and if you watch a goal that has an XG of say a quarter and sometimes you see it and you're like, what are you talking about? That's right in front of the net, but that's how they evaluated them or they or they come up with these long, um, long distance shots. So you have an XG of 
you know, point one, but there's nobody in the middle. All right. So my, my, I guess my question would be, um, did you, did you look at the shots kind of one by one and say, uh, were there any obvious ones that popped out that said they should have made that they didn't, or are we just relying on, on a, a statistical model? Real quickly. I want to point out the irony of the analysts pushing the journalist. <laughs> yeah. the, the models are probably crap. Did you look at the actual uh, observation? Yeah, because I, I know soccer. That's right. You know, <laughs> I think I think the the eyes are still pretty damn good in soccer. Yeah, I, to I like I. It's funny that you say that, kid. You know, my experience in covering the sport is trying to rely less and less on my yeah. eyes because yeah. I know yeah. all the biases that I bring in. And I think when the ball goes in the net, it's really hard to separate the fact that the ball went in the net with what the quality of the chance actually was, right? Like it can, you if the player perfectly places it in the upper corner and has like a little bit of space to do it from 25 yards out, it can look like that was a great chance, but like that's just not going to happen most of the time. Um, and I yeah. think like to Adi, Adi's point, like it's more, it's almost just like more useful to talk about the number of shots than XG. Like they took 85 shots and allowed 20. <laughs> like it's just, to, to me that like, you kind of like that's what you do and then you kind of just throw your hands up in the air once you create that more that many more shots than your opponents basically okay okay so so ryan uh the way that the rest of the world develops women's players is probably similar to the way they develop the men's players in soccer and the way they develop their athletes in other sports i mean we are very very much wedded to the collegiate system this is how in so many areas we develop our athletes uh, and uh, I just wonder whether or not their system is ultimately better and that they're going to surpass us because we are so devoted to the collegiate system to develop our 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 soccer players is that true in soccer uh, Brian Bowie when you answer Adi's question is that true because I thought there were like U11 U13 U15 U17 U19 developmental programs that are outside of the college system well no that's that's in soccer we've developed them recently and I don't oh, okay. I, I think that that's definitely happening I mean we do it here at Philadelphia Union we work with them and these places are created uh, as often as adjuncts to the or, or partners with uh, with the first teams, the the MLS first teams, because they know this is the best way to develop talent and, and make money because you sell the talent uh, generally overseas. Um, but I don't think we're doing that with the women. And if we are, I'd certainly like to know about it. Yeah, I mean, the, the men. There's academies. There's academies that have popped up all across the country. All the MLS teams have academies now. Uh, most of the women's team played in college. I would. I think probably almost everyone played in college, other than Alyssa Thompson, who's 18. And I don't think Lindsay Hand played in college either. I think she went straight to PSG. So like they're, it's still mostly a college-based system with women's soccer. And I think it's a good point, right? Like in, in the NFL, in football, we're not competing with the rest of the world to develop athletes. It's just like, they're all here. And like, whoever's the best is going to go play for the Chiefs or whatever. Um, while with basketball, like we all, we have all the best basketball players, but like, do we have any like impetus to like, be better at developing them. And like, you are seeing that the a bigger and bigger chunk of the all NBA teams every year are players that are not from the U S. So it does seem like the rest of the world's catching up in basketball potentially too. So I don't, I don't see why you wouldn't see it happen here, but I just think it's, we're just going to always have so many uh, talented women playing soccer that like, even if we don't know how to develop them or coach them, we'll still be among the favorites to win every world cup. Wow. Okay. That's uh, interesting. 
Interesting perspective. Good. Uh, very balancing perspective for us all the way around, Ryan. Thank you. On the women's side, let's jump to men's soccer. And before jumping to Premier League, which is about to start, let's talk closer to home. And it's more fun than ever for the novice soccer fans to talk about U.S. professional soccer because you know, Messi is playing, not only playing, but like doing astounding things. Maybe it's not astounding given that it's him, but I'm curious, Ryan, what your perspective has been. He's played, he's got like, what, seven goals in four games or something, including a couple of uh, either uh, game winners or clinchers late penalty kicks. He's beautiful, you know, trademark Messi penalty kicks late in matches. He has Miami which is apparently the seller dweller on the on the on the on the U.S. side, but they're playing this. Tell us about this neat this neat tournament they're playing with Mexico, and they've got them into like the quarters or at least around a sixteen. So a lot of fun things going on down in Miami. What's your perspective? I mean, I feel like in the past we've had these guys come over. Beckham, of course, did really well, but it goes back years. We've always kind of imported the the older star from somewhere else, and it's been kind of a novelty act. And um, about a cut or, or three above the typical, and but his performance has been so great. I'm curious what your reaction is, right? Yeah, I. Um, so, League's Cup is just a it's a mid season tournament between the between MLS and Liga MX, the Mexican league, where they play group stage and then a knockout round, trying to kind of build up a relationship between the leagues because I think that could potentially be a thing going forward. Uh, much closer relationship between the U.S. and Mexico. In okay, real, before to- you go past that, before you go past that, it's, it's one of these neat things, right, where they stop league play and they do this for like a month or whatever. Yeah. Is that yeah. right? And so it is just kind of this break. And a team like Miami, especially since they got messy right at the beginning, even though they're at the absolute bottom of MLS, can be competitive. Just to be clear, Kate, this is what they're proposing to do in the NBA that we've talked about as well, right? Well, yeah, yes. Though They're going to keep on playing regular Sorry. season games. They're, they're going to count. They're not going to stop. Oh, this oh. is Okay. But anyway, it's a neat thing, Ryan, that we probably all ought to be paying attention to. We might not even be, you know, we're watching these highlights of Messi score these goals, might not realize that it's this interesting tournament against the Mexican league. Yeah. It's funny that you, you kept us referring to his goals as penalty kicks because um, they're, they're all, they're free kicks. Free, free, kicks the free kicks. No, 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 but, no, no. I, but the coach for <laughs> FC Dallas after the game basically said it's base. The equivalent Messi getting a free kick is the equivalent right. of a penalty kick. Yeah. You yeah, need yeah. to hope he falls down as he's running, running toward the ball. I mean, yeah. it's, it's like massively exceeded all of my expectations already. I mean, he scored oh, a free kick in injury time of the, his first game with Inter-Miami <laughs> at home with like LeBron James and Serena Williams and David Beckham all staring at like him movie, you know, right? to win the game. Like that's not that's how soccer absurd. works. Like Met, Messi's whole dominance is like he affects the game in subtle ways for 90 minutes. You know, it's right. not just like he just does that. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, it's like, so I did a piece just trying to project his potential performance in the league. And I think you made a good point. Like Messi just won the best player award at the world cup. He was amazing in France this past year. He's old, but he's at worst, one of the five best players in the world still, I would say. So it's not like, <laughs> you know, we're bringing some scrub, um, and I tried to do it a couple different ways of projecting like what his performance would be in MLS. One, I looked at Carlos Vela, who kind of has the record for best MLS season goals and assist perspective. Um, and he uh, he went from like in La Liga before he came to MLS, he was at like 0.35 uh, goals and assists per 90. And he jumped up to like 1.25 
goals and assists per oh, game. Geez. So I, oh, you know, very, very stupidly, I just converted Messi's uh, performance purely based on that ratio. And Messi, Messi would score, uh, I think it was 3.5 goals and assists per game would end up with over a hundred goals and assists in a season. No MLS team has ever done that by themselves. So I did that sort of like tongue in cheek. But like that's yeah. basically the rate he's currently at <laughs> um, so far. So I don't know. It's it's been interesting. It's cool to just see people excited about it. Like the stadiums are sold out. He's creating all of these very exciting moments, um, making people care about the League Cup. Um, but it's also been interesting to kind of see like how he's doing so well. Like what specific, you know, because you wonder what's the difference between MLS and the Premier League as you watch, right? Is it the skill level? Is it the intelligence of the players? Is it the fitness? And I think we are getting maybe a couple answers about what the, the differences are by how Messi's, uh, how he, he's specifically oh, dominating. Um, well, so yeah, I want to hear more, more about that because the first reaction, whenever you see him perform this well, or you, you hear from a distance how many goals he has, you think, well, you know, competition's not as good. But then the highlight shots have been these free kicks. And you're like, well, I mean, it's not like the U.S. players are going to make walls less effectively. I mean, the free kick is a yeah. pretty much apples to apples comparison. And he's just, you know, nailing those things. But when you do this analysis, when you see the the, the kind of back to back comparison, what does it reveal to you about what's different in the Premier League? Uh, I think like the main thing that has stood out is how hard it is for the players to deal with his movement when he doesn't have the ball. Um there's a goal uh, two games ago where he's kind of just like walking along top of the box, the defensive midfielder and center back kind of forget about him. And then as soon as the ball gets played wide, he immediately sprints to the center of the box. The guy chips it over. He's suddenly inside the six yard box alone with the keeper and just rips it into the goal. And like, this is Lionel Messi accessing the most dangerous area on the field quite easily, you know, like that's the one guy you don't (laughs) let do that. And, you know, it's I've, I've seen people be yeah. like, oh, the coaching is terrible and the players suck. But it's like, you do you not think the coaches are like aware that Messi's on Inter Miami and they need to do everything to stop him. So just like the way he moves, he's able like the it just feels like the players in MLS have no it's so hard for them to sort of calculate where he is on the field, how his movements are changing while <laughs> also defending against everyone else. And you think of Messi as, you know, this amazing dribbler with great passing skill, but his like off ball movement is the thing that stood out most to me so far. That's amazing because there's this famous line in a Luke Bourne paper. Um, Luke's got co-authors on that. And and one of them includes the Barca, the Barcelona analyst. Is it Fernandez? Luis Fernandez? Famously observing that he creates value even when he's walking. So that matches very well that observation. Eric. You know, no, I was just going to ask Ryan, I, I think one of the things I was thinking about when I knew you were going to be on the show was, does he help given, you know, he just played in the World Cup and he just played in the, and you know, in, in over in Europe. So it's not like his skills have degraded significantly. So let's make an assumption that before and after his skills have been basically the same. Does this provide us an opportunity to rank or to basically equate the level of the MLS to the English Premier League, just because there's not, a, you know, a lot of times you can say, well, we can't do it because of the temporal decline. Like, oh, he's four years older. Well, no, he's not. Or, oh, he didn't play that much before and now he's playing more. No, he played before and now he played. I just thought from a statistical perspective, this is a golden opportunity to try to think about how to equate the leagues. I was just interested in your perspective. No, I, I think you definitely can. And, I, I you know, one thing you'll 
<laughs> I mean, I guess you can sort of just compare it to how he did in his most recent season in France, right? And that kind of maybe gives you a general sense of where he's at at this stage in his career and how how much his production will increase in MLS. But at the same time, you know, in the best league in the world at the time, La Liga, he scored 50 goals in a season and had like 18 assists also. And like, you know, so he's, he's, I, I guess maybe if MLS turns old Messi into peak Messi, that's, that's an interesting, interesting little thing. But I think there's a structural thing with MLS where they have all these weird salary rules that like allow you to sign a handful of famous players or expensive players basically and the issue with that right is most of these teams are going to sign attacking players because an individual attacker is just going to impact your winning more more than an individual defender most of the time and two they're the more famous players but it 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 doesn't allow like it increases the spending powers of the teams but it doesn't allow the teams to like just spend a little bit of extra money on every position so it creates these incredibly lopsided teams that are typically worse defensively because they're putting way more of their resources toward attackers. So Messi is like designed in a lab to exploit the structural inadequacies of MLS, basically. Before we let you go, Ryan, we got to hear a little bit about the upcoming season in the Premier League. You, um, we, I'm just looking at the the odds, the betting odds here. So I, I can I can come up with a few questions for you, but I'm curious what you consider to be the top storyline or or even a storyline that you're especially interested in. Man City actually odds on favorite more likely to win than not, which I guess shouldn't be yeah. too surprising. The ones that jump out to me are, it feels like Arsenal has snuck up over the last couple of years, they had a good season last season. I think of them as being pretty advanced on the analytics side. I believe at one point they bought one of the top soccer analytics shops and brought them in-house. Do I have that right? And then the other that jumps out to me are Newcastle has has snuck up. They, they were bought recently, and I guess they're getting a lot of money. I'm guessing that's behind it. But then Tottenham, is drifting down. Do I have those right? And what storylines most interest you going into the season? Yeah, you're you're correct. Uh, Arsenal bought Stat DNA a while back. Uh, Sarah Rudd, who I feel like you guys have had her on the show. Probably yeah, we've had Sarah. On. And then they hired a character in my book, um, actually, right after the book came out. So they 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 are more analytical than than your average team. I think to me the the thing that interests me this is maybe a little too wonky, but like last year was a really weird season where what you're describing Arsenal and Newcastle massively overachieved to ways no one expected. Liverpool were basically able to be neck and neck with Manchester city for four years and then finish in fifth had their worst season since they hired their manager, Jurgen Klopp Chelsea finished in 11th and they didn't, this wasn't like a team that underperformed their expected goals. They were like a legitimate performance quality 11th <laughs> team. Um, and they won the champions league two years ago. So, and there's a lot of reasons why it was potentially weird, right? The World Cup happened in the middle of the season. It was also the third season of the kind of COVID disruption where the games got delayed and then the seasons were pushed close together. So this is kind of the first normal off season we've had. So I'm, what I'm thinking of as like an analyst is um, how, like, do I wait last year as much as I would have waited two years ago before last year, if that makes any sense. Like, do I think, do I assume Arsenal and Newcastle are just, you know, because their performances were two and three in the league last year, like inarguably. So do I, is that where I think they are? And then I look at their summer changes and judge them off that. Or do I look at Liverpool and say, wow, they still have pretty much the entire team that they had when they were amazing. Maybe they just had a down year. So I think that's kind of going to be really interesting um, to see, sort of how real last year was, I guess. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As, as an outsider, it feels fresh to me to have someone out of the big six uh, in the conversation the way Newcastle is. But I, I guess that's the, is it, are the Saudis the ones who bought Newcastle? Do I have that right? Or is it another money group? Yes, the Saudis are. Um, there was actually just a transfer between a Saudi club and Newcastle, uh, both of which are owned by the same entity. So yeah, right. you guys can okay. try to figure out how they figured out the the true transfer fee for that player. The, the accounting on that one. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Uh, well, listen, we've, we've, we've kept you too long, man. Uh, appreciate your time, Ryan, very much. And we look forward to hearing more from you down the road. Love coming on. Thanks guys. All right. Ryan O'Hanlon, Ryan, longtime friend of the show. He is a soccer writer for ESPN, the author of net gains. We can strongly recommend his book, net gains. And he's a great follow on Twitter at R-W-O-H-A-N, 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 Ryan O'Hanlon. For our three hosts, this is Cade Massey, full show here with Eric and Adi Shane will be back. Appreciate y'all listening. Come back and join us next time. Between now and then, enjoy your sports. <laughs>